Hello everyone. So many of you have been asking about Spanish and today we're going to have an in-depth look at the Spanish language. Finally. This here is a cute um, language learning book that I found in one of the book boxes here in Vienna. Well, I'm saying cute. I like the design with the dancer at the front. But I think if you're learning Spanish with this book here, it's probably quite a difficult experience. It's from 1961. And it does say that this is the first book in a series of three. But the way it works is that you just get little information up front, some vocabulary, numbers, couple questions, And then it just starts off with texts in Spanish. So clearly, if you were learning a language in the 60s, it worked a bit differently compared to now. The language learning books that I've bought recently are full of pictures and little boxes with explanations. Very different experience. But the reason I brought this book is because of this part here. beautiful map of Spain here. And you can see whoever was learning with it added some little translations like here, Catalanian, Andalusian. They added this little drawing here to Cordoba and had a little mark to some of the cities in the north. Maybe they went on holiday there, who knows? But I thought this would be a great starting point for us to have a look at Spain, first of all. So here we have Pyrenees, the Pyrenees, with France to the north. We are here on the Atlantic side, 
Portugal in the southwestern part of the Iberian Peninsula then here we get to the southernmost tip with Morocco just across and then with Malaga Almeria, Cartagena we're in the Mediterranean up to Valencia and Barcelona and here the Balearic Islands The capital is right here, pretty much in the center, with Madrid. And to the north we have El Escorial, and to the south, Toledo. Both important cities in the history of Spain. And you might also know Cordoba, which we've already mentioned, or maybe Granada. So let's look a little bit at the history of the Spanish language. Today there are roughly 500 million Spanish speakers. It's the official language in 20 different countries and one of the most widely spoken languages in the world and its history dates back to the Roman Empire If we look at this part here, for example, this is the Roman Empire 200 before Christ, 217 um, AD So the colors aren't important to us now But what we do see here is that Hispania is entirely part of the Roman Empire Which also continues here in North Africa so this is not the end of the continent but you basically cross over and you're still in the same political sphere at the time other languages were already spoken in the area one of them was the language that would turn into Basque here basically in northern Spain but you also had other languages on the peninsula like Celtic languages or for example Lusitanian or Iberian 
it's not quite clear which one it was related to. Basque is an isolate language, so we know it's not Indo-European and it's also not related to any of the other ones. But for example, with Iberian, it's just not really clear where it fits in the language classifications. These languages, with the exception of Basque, eventually disappeared. But they formed a so-called substratum. So they still influenced the language that was spoken and that would develop later. Usually when people move in, they come in contact with other speakers, they hear how certain things are pronounced, they might pick up certain expressions, maybe carry them over into their own language. So you have certain influence, especially with um, regional names, so the names of rivers, of mountains, etc. That's often where you find these um, remnants of former languages. And that's what you can also find in Spain. Basque, of course, also had an influence, but that is not a substratum. That is something you would call an outstratum, because none of the languages disappeared. They're both still here, influencing one another. As time went on, the Roman Empire disintegrated and Germanic tribes moved in all the way to the Iberian Peninsula. You can see it here, it says Westgoten, the Visigoths. And they ruled for about 300 years. But the fascinating thing is, they didn't really leave a lot of traces linguistically. And that probably has to do with the fact that they were a very small percentage of the population. So even though they were there for a long time, they were only something like 2 or 3%, they didn't marry with the other uh, population, they stayed separate. And once they became Catholic, they basically gave up their language and everyone was using um, Vulgar Latin at the time. And by the way, they were Christians before too, so when they came in they weren't heathens or anything. But early Christianity had a lot of heated debates about, for example, the exact nature of Christ or whether having a god and the son of god meant that you had two gods and whether that wasn't a heresy so they weren't catholic because they followed some other doctrines but eventually became catholic and then they gave up their language so you don't have a lot of germanic uh, loan words or the ones that you do have probably already came in earlier with the Romans when they came in contact with Germanic tribes further north. But one interesting part that the Visigoths did give to Spanish is the ending of certain surnames, the E set, for example, in Rodriguez or Sanchez. 
And that's probably related to something that you find further north. The sun or son ending, like in Henriksson, which just means son of Henrik. So that was adopted and became part of Spanish names, which I find quite fascinating. But we already see a little line here that includes Cordoba. The southern tip being part of the East Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire. And when that fell, parts of the Iberian Peninsula became part of the Islamic area. So you can see the Islamic influence came from the south and then moved north and the, um, the lines here changed a bit so this isn't one definite border but it did reach quite far north as you can see it's basically just this northern tip of Spain that didn't become part of the Emirate or later Caliphate of Cordoba. You can see one example here. So we have plenty of years here, 925, 1037, 939, so lots of things happening. But what's important for us in, if we just want to have a little overview, is that the Islamic Iberian Peninsula, which was called Al-Andalus, existed from 711 to 1492. That's when the Reconquista was finished and everything became Catholic again. The Emirate lasted until 929 and sort of the golden age was the Caliphate, which lasted another 100 years roughly until 1031. And that's when it started sort of falling apart. We had lots of different little spheres of influence while the northern Catholic parts became more unified, which gave them an advantage. The Caliphate was a very influential um, area in Europe at the time. You might know that it was quite a tolerant region when it came to other religions. So there were also Jews living there, there were Christians living there. And Arabic, of course, was also spoken, and some of the people who nonetheless decided to leave the Caliphate and move further north brought some Arabic words with them. That's why about 8% of the dictionary in Spanish today has Arabic roots. Some of them, though, some of these words that were learned from Arabic actually came from further away. So some were initially Persian, for example, 
were brought into Arabic and then from there came to Spanish. So as you can imagine there was a huge area that used one language and lots of ideas moved back and forth. But it wasn't just within the Muslim areas, it was also towards the north. There was an exchange of ideas, for example, one of the philosophers in the Caliphate, Ibn Rushd, also known as Avaroes, was hugely influential and you can find him in Renaissance paintings from Italy from a couple hundred years later, for example. So, fascinating time, but probably something that would be worth making an entire separate video about. If we move forward a bit, the late Middle Ages, Europe around 1400, we can see that the Reconquista has advanced quite far to the south. We have Portugal here as a separate state. We have the Kingdom of Castilian, as it says here. We have Aragon, where we have Valencia here, so Catalonia would be included here, Navarra, and then France to the north. Here in the south is where you had a Muslim area for the longest, like I said, until 1492. And then, that's also going to be the topic of a separate video, you have first the Catholic kings, then you have Johanna, also called Johanna the Mad, who married this guy here. That's Philip the Handsome. He was the son of Maximilian I, who was the Habsburg Emperor. And the sons of Philip the Handsome, Ferdinand and Charles, would then also become kings or emperors, respectively. And Charles would become the heir to the Spanish throne. And that's when you have this huge Spanish empire where the sun never sets. That would basically reach across the entire globe. And that's his son again, Philip II. So that is the Spanish line of the Habsburgs, but we'll talk about that in more depth another time.
With the expansion of the Spanish colonial empire, you of course also had the language that was brought across the entire world. We have, which I always find really noticeable, the Philippines. You can see this here, 1564, 1596 Spanish, the Philippines being named after the sky here. But of course, the Biggest parts are in the Americas. You have New Spain here, which is basically Mexico, and then reaching quite far north. This is already a smaller version. The influence extended even further north, and you still have a lot of native Spanish speakers here in these areas. You have here New Granada and Peru, the former empire of the Incas, and this here would have been of the Aztecs. The only country in Latin America that doesn't use Spanish but rather Portuguese is Brazil. And that has to do with an early contract between the Spanish and the Portuguese crown where they divided the lands that they knew up until that point. And Brazil fell to Portugal and everything west fell to Spain. Of course, it's not just in one direction when you export a language. You also have a lot of influence coming back. So you do have an American influence, um, particularly when it comes to vocabulary. Think of tomato or chocolate or potatoes. These are all things from the American continents. And of course, also the names were brought back to Europe. The Spanish that is used in America today isn't too different when it comes to grammar. But there are, um, of course, different dialects. There are different pronunciations, a different melody when you speak. And, of course, also different words that are being used. Or sometimes the same word means something a little different, which can make talking with one another difficult. But overall, you know, same language, not too different, not too different, just maybe sounds a bit strange. But you can normally still talk to one another, even if there's um, a potential for misunderstanding. We have one more map here. Oh, Latin America, where you can see how quickly they moved through the continent. The darker orange here is from 1650, the lighter ones just a hundred years later. 
and then again so Spanish borderland which would be here the other part at this point 1750 you also have some French presence you have the British in the area and of course it's always worth remembering that the colonial period in Latin America happened quite early so often when you read about colonialism or imperialism it refers to the 19th century and the British Empire but the Spanish Empire was a lot earlier and they already entered post-colonial times when the British Empire was at its height alright but again with Latin America I think that too warrants a separate video where we can maybe have a look at some of the native languages and today for the remainder of the time we spend together I'd like to come back to this map So until now I've been just been calling the language Spanish that's usually quite easy in English but when you learn Spanish it might not be that clear and depending on where you go you might encounter a different name it might also be called Castellano and if you go to different parts of Spain you might also learn different kind of Spanish so let's have a little look at that so Castilian comes from the area here Castilla la Nueva and Castilla la Vieja where we have Madrid at the center and as I mentioned before El Escorial from where the kings ruled in Toledo is where we have some of the first written records of what we would call Spanish later from the 13th century as this was the center of power this particular language became the most influential it had the most prestige and it spread across the entire country also into other areas but up here for example Asturias, Leon you have another language that doesn't have an official status but it is considered a language and it's been shown that it developed separately from Latin so it's not just a dialect it's not um, a language with the same root that eventually diverged but it's sort of very close the root is very old and it developed completely separately from Castilian and you can still learn it so it's Asturleonese and you find a case of Dicrosea 
of people will use Spanish and Britain communication in official situations, but maybe speak Asturianese at home. You also have Galician over here. This is also interesting because here on the western part you have a basically a dialect continuum with Portuguese. So Galician and Portuguese were one area up until the 12th, 13th century when the way that it was spoken began to diverge. Portuguese again became an official language, became a language of power, the language of the crown. While Galician became part of the Spanish sphere of influence. So it wasn't developed into a standard language or a written language like Portuguese. It became basically, you could say, a dialect, just a spoken language that didn't have as much prestige, it wasn't as important. And it took until the 18th, 19th century until you had a kind of revival where the language was renewed. Galician, by the way, also is the language of the Cantigas de Santa Maria from Alfonso X, also called El Sabio, the Wise. They are a beautiful set of poems from the Middle Ages. And I think there are different interpretations. It's not quite clear how they should be sung, but you can find really, really beautiful ones. I recommend looking these up if you like old music. They've been sort of my soundtrack for the past weeks. So as a little aside. But the most famous local language in Spain, apart from Castilian, is surely Catalan. Which we have over here in Catalonia, of course, with Barcelona. Also in this area, Valencia. And you've probably noticed if you followed the news, um, you have a discourse of independence, especially here in this area, that kind of keeps springing up and also makes it into the international news. Catalan is interesting because it's more closely related to languages further north. So here in the south of France, in northern Italy, Occitan, for example. If you look at lexical similarities, so how closely words are related, how similar they are, it has more similarity with Italian than with Spanish and Portuguese. So you have a separate development and different kinds of relations here. Catalan has often been regarded as just a dialect, but of course people don't like to hear that because there's often also something, you know, a little, it comes with prejudice if you say something's a dialect. Catalan is considered a language which you can also learn in schools or universities. And 
there are probably about 9 million speakers, though it's somewhat unclear um, how fluent everyone is. So it's L1 and L2 together, native speakers and uh, second language speakers. Interestingly, the percentage of speakers is relatively low in Barcelona compared to the surrounding areas, which has to do with this being a big city, attracting lots of immigration, also from other areas of Spain. So people come in who don't necessarily speak Catalan, but might use other versions of Spanish. It has official status in Catalonia, in Valencia, and on the Balearic Islands. So with Valencia, you can have a separate variety, so it's not quite the same. And with these regional languages, there's been um, many periods of suppression, also in the 20th century, which might have something to do with the fact that you see uh, sort of a big revival and many people taking a lot of pride in these languages today and being very invested in them. So, quite an interesting language. I think it's time to fold this back up and I haven't had time to really read through this book yet but I've noticed since I've spent a lot of time learning French and I know a little Italian I might actually be able to understand a little bit about this. One lives in a white house and in the house of one there are four people who live there. The father, mother, girl and a boy or son and a daughter. I guess I'll have to look up some vocabulary eventually. I'm curious to find out how much I can pick up here. So I think that's what I'm gonna do now while you hopefully drift off to sleep. And I'll see you again 